we find that in life, as in the physical, a lot of things can happen behind the stage. You know, I've been to productions where suddenly there's this incredible thing that comes from backstage and it appears and you like, wow, what happened behind stage that they could get all of this going? Uh, but in the spiritual, it also does take place, that we have a lot of activity behind the stage or behind the scenes, and, and, and we often don't know. It's that out of public view or hidden working um, that takes place. And as we've been talking about the God of promise, I want to stop this morning and, and, and focus a little bit about the behind the stage activity of, of why. Why does God make promises have you ever thought about that have you ever stopped and just thought and asked yourself the question why does God promise us so many things we've, we've said from the beginning of the series that there's about 30,000 promises in the word amen and you've been able to count them you haven't some of you started None. <laughs> the point is there's, there's, there's all sorts of promises in the word and and but the question is why why do you think they're there why so many it obviously is related to, to us, and I want to talk about that this morning. And, and so just some general thoughts about, about promises. First of all, promises are made because we want to persuade people of our willingness to do or to give or to be what we say we will. Ever thought about that? When you and I promise each other something, uh, I hope that you are making promises. And, and we had this, again, that, that wedding where my son and his wife and our new daughter-in-law had made certain promises to each other. And, and what we did is we, they made their own, they compiled their own vows from beautiful words and stuff that they felt would be appropriate. And so we printed it on a certificate kind of format. And, and we, had them actually, we had them sign it at the bottom. And I gave it to them and I said, now you go and put this into a frame. Put it on your wall in your house. That you can often be reminded of the promises you made. So that promise-making can become promise-keeping. Amen? It's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to keep a promise. How many of you know that? And, and so, so the point is, is that, that we make promises because we, we, we realize there's something that we've got to do for somebody. There's something that we've got to give someone. Or there's someone that we've got to be to them. I, I have to be a servant as well. And so when I say, I promise to serve you, something that I promise to be and then to do. A lot of things in life is dependent upon us doing something for people and, and, and giving them. But unfortunately, we find that a lot of promises are broken. Amen? So this is a moment again where you can stop and you just take a little bit of, do a little bit of introspection and say, are oh, there promises that are currently am not fulfilling that I have made. And by the way, if you need to go back to somebody that, and say to them, listen, the promise I made to you, it was unrealistic. I just cannot do this. It was actually stupid and silly of me to make this promise to you. Simple one. I'll buy you chocolates every day. How many of you would like to have that? Samin. Anybody willing to make that promise to Samin? Not me. Don't look at my hand. But we do make promises sometimes that are ungodly and, and unasked for. We, didn't, we shouldn't be making certain promises. So this is like extra. This is not part of the, the, the countdown or the time of this preach. This is extra information. Please don't make promises that you're not supposed to. All right? Don't promise people things that, that 
that God never guided you into, that God never convicted you to do and to say. Oh, I promise I always. It's like, wait, you get emotional. You felt guilty about something. You were overwhelmed in the moment. You, I promise I always. And then you're like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Probably best you could do is to go to a person and say, listen, I'm not talking about marriage now. If you said yes in marriage, you're in it. You can't get out of it now. But if you've made a promise to somebody that you're realizing now, in hindsight, boy, oh boy, I'm not going to be able to manage this. I'm killing myself. I'm destroying my budget. And I'm actually, this is harmful more than helpful. Go and repent. And say, I'm sorry. I really want to ask you to forgive me. I shouldn't have. Please, would you release me? Hmm? But we're talking today about promises that we should be keeping. And, and those things that we know that when I say this is what I will do, I will stick to it. This is how much I will give. This is when I will meet you. This is how far I will go. This is what I will be to you. Then better keep it. And this morning, if there's a conviction that falls on you right now, don't feel guilty. Don't be condemned. Just respond and say, God, I'm sorry. There are certain promises that I have made that I've not kept. I've not been keeping. And I ask you to forgive me. And you better go into the person as well that you have been letting down, perhaps. Promises are also usually given to a person in regards to a future situation or event that will assist them in being assured of what you will do or give or be for them. So in other words, we, we don't make promises for what has happened. We make promises for what will happen. Amen? And so when I say to somebody, I promise, it's actually I will do or I, I will give or I will be whatever it may be to you. So make sure you keep those promises. And a promise is also given about something that may not be obvious to us. I promise to be there, to do whatever, because none of it may be obvious to you. And so I promise I will help and support. My commitment to you, us to one another through a promise, will help you plan, expect certain things from me, and will hopefully settle you too. If you know that Vesey had promised that he will be there, then if you arrive there, you know that he promised he will. And if there's something that has come up, somehow you will let you know, listen, something has come up and it's whatever. Zesa, blame one of the Zets. Zimra, Zesa, Zanara, I don't know. <laughs> Any one of the Zets. Always helpful to have a Z to, to, to use, eh? <laughs> anyway, just the point is, if I make a promise to somebody, it gives them some sort of an assurance that I will come through. We make a promise in regards to something that will more than likely be challenged or contradicted at some point. So in other words, promises are made because there's a chance, listen to this, that the opposite of, what, of that could happen. But instead, we choose to commit ourselves to what we said. So when I say, guys, I, I commit myself to whatever it is. There are possibilities that what I promised myself to will be challenged by situations in life that are beyond my control. But you know, or the person that's been promised to knows that there's an assurance that this person is committed to pull this through. I made a commitment to Samin in December. It'll be 33 years ago that I will be faithful to her 
And I'm not trying to elevate myself. As I said, that's the commitment we made to each other. And, we, and there are many opportunities that will come to contradict and challenge that. Believe me. We're full. I mean, there, there are plenty of, of things happening in this world that will try to challenge and, and override and, and distract us from that commitment. But what I said on the 17th of December, 1988, is still real and I trust has is con is continued to grow in my heart towards her. Because the commitment that came through a promise is something that I said I will. And hopefully it settles her and it settles me too that I know that, that, I know that that's what she's promised me. It gives me incredible assurance that I know that I know that I know her commitment is intact. So that's marriage and there are many other commitments that we make. That does not make me feel good, but it actually is supposed to. Hey, I commit, Alec, I will help with whatever. And there are people that have incredible commitments that they've made. There, there's some people that I know, they said to you, listen, if any time, any time of the day, whatever the situation, you're in trouble, you just give me a call. It's an amazing commitment there. And if they, for instance, hey, I'm, sitting, I'm sorry, I'm sitting in South Africa, whatever, I can't help you. Your car is stuck outside of Bulawayo, I'm just not going to be able to. It's obviously realistic that they can't keep that commitment. But there are people that have done things like that, that have said that to me. And I could, hey, would you mind? Yes. I'll be there in a jiffy. That's an incredible commitment to make. And to, to have this reassurance of the person on the receiving end of a commitment is hugely helpful. So this brings us to the, to the title of our message today, which is really the fact that there's a reason why God makes promises. God makes promises for a particular reason. And His promises to us come in the light of Him being fully aware of the needs we live with and what may challenge his character, his, his, character, his character and heart and faithfulness towards us. So there are things around us that will come to try to distract and contradict his character and his faithfulness to you and me. And so God comes and he says, here's my promises. To override what may try to cover that. So God promises us things that at some point, will be challenged. You better believe that. It will be challenged. And many of you would say, it has been challenged. Amen? It has, and it will continue to be challenged with all sorts of contradictions. I believe, therefore, and it's on the screen, that the reason God makes promises is because the real issues we live with are challenging to us. I mean, it's just so overwhelming, the real issues. The other reason I believe is that the conflicting lies we face about Him, I believe is a reason why He gives us promises. And then the third one is the difficulty we have in trusting Him. How many of you have difficulty in that? Or in any one of those three, or all three? Amen? Come on. So God comes and He says, I promise. I want to take you to Psalm 119. Would you go there with me? And... and we're going to look at a number of verses together today, just trying to, trying to understand a little bit more about why the promises are so important. The God of the promise is the one that enables us to trust the promises of God. But here in Psalm 119, look, look at this beautiful verse here in verse 49. Psalm 119. It says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort 
in my affliction that your promise gives me life. How's that? That in my affliction, I find comfort through your promise that gives me life. And how many would you, of you would agree that we live in a world where there are many afflictions, <laughs> there are many challenges. And so what we can do is to say, God, you, one of the reasons why you've given me a promise or promises and the hobbles of them is so that I can have comfort in my affliction. So if God then, listen to this, if God made promises to guard us against every contradiction the world would throw at us, then surely we need to look at what He promises more intently to not be overcome by these contradictions, isn't it? So if God promises to guard us in the midst of all our challenging moments and contradictions that the world throws at us, because the world wants to contradict what God says. Come on. Does God love me? That's a contradiction to the truth that God does love. Amen. So the world comes with all these contradictions. And God knows this. And my suggestion to you this morning is that because he knows, he says, I promise. And so contradiction, promise. These two opposites. God says, I understand. The world is full of contradictions because the world is full of sin. But I've given you my promises so that when you look at them intently, you can't just, well, the promises, I don't know any of the promises, but the promises of the Lord are there. They will sustain me. Come on, give me one promise that you really believe will sustain you. Um, um, no, no, go and study them. Go and study the God of the promise to see that the promises of God can be sustained by His character. So we see these promises of God and we become fully aware of the truth of each one of them. So that when we face these contradictions, I'll say, but God said, but God said, but this is what the word says. This is what I know about my God. So contradiction, get out. Point this morning, I want to ask us, including myself, is what do we mostly talk about? The contradictions or the promises? Because what you talk about most will guide you, will govern your life. If you're stuck here and it's just so fully aware of just the faithfulness of God, no matter what happens, you will, dr you will draw from this well, this, this incredible well that has no end to it. There's no bottom to it. You will never be able to take out all of the resources from this well. You can drink and drink and be fed and there's always more. But if you drink from this contradicting um, well, it'll kill you. It'll bring you into deep anxiety and deep, deep worry and deep fear. So which well are you and I drinking from today? So let's just look at some of the greatest needs that we have, if I may. Just share with you five. And how about believing the promises of God, we can stand strong. There are certain contradictions that, that are kind of general, that are thrown at us. But unless we know that the God of promises are faithful and, and He is available and, and, and there to help me and to guide me, I will allow 
these concerns and these contradictions and these challenges to actually become the driving force in my life. So let's look at the first one. A need that we have that I believe as we look at these needs, God has given us promises to help us manage these needs that we have. The first need that I believe humans have is a need for purpose. You're not just here on earth to just kind of tick the days by and watch soccer and go to work and eat zadza and yama and what, what, what. There's something more to your life than just that. Amen? You have purpose. You have godly purpose. One of our greatest needs as humans is to know our reason for living. You have purpose here on earth. And what the world comes and tells you is you don't. And it tries to contradict that there's purpose for you in firstly knowing God. Surely there must be something bigger than just the running around, buying, shopping, working, cleaning, sleeping, studying, marrying, all of this stuff. There must be something more than just that. Come on. And Ecclesiastes 3, it's up there. I don't know how many of you have read Ecclesiastes of late. The beautiful philosophical work of Solomon. It seems like at the time when he was a little bit confused and he allowed all sorts of things to kind of govern his life. But he comes out with some interesting truths from there. One of the things that he says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 is he says that God has put eternity in the heart of man. So God has established something in us that has eternal value. In other words, there's purpose in our lives. We're not just here to just eat, sleep, drink, work, whatever. There's something more. And it's that very thing that often is stolen from us. That we believe that my time here on earth is it's actually a waste. I just got to get over it and then life comes to an end. But God has put eternity in our hearts, which means that the 70, the 80, the 90, the whatever number of years that we will be here on earth, no matter how long they will be, it, it's not the end. There's something more. I'm deeply, acutely aware of the fact that, that my life here on earth is, is but a, a speck on that wall. I mean, if eternity could not be ever limited to a beginning and to an end, but if somehow we could see that wall, whatever wall you can have a look at, if there's one speck at the, one at the, at the beginning of it, and there's just a, like a little mark there, that's my 70, 80, 90 years here on earth. I've got eternity to still live. Because God has put eternity in my heart. And I've got purpose in Him. And eternal life is really what He has come to present to us. All of us have been born, and all of us will die one day. And my purpose is not just to see that time through. My purpose is to know Him and to live eternally with Him. I was so overwhelmed by this again this week as I was reading this, uh, particularly yesterday. And, and I realized, Ben, there are friends in my life that I have not taken the, or made the effort to go and talk to about eternal life yet. They know my convictions, but I need to sit down with them and I say, and say to them, listen, God wants you to know Him in a personal relationship with Him. And it just convicted me again that we live so often just for the time here 
well, we know you, known you for six years or whatever, and that's been great and been wonderful. But God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. And we've got to live. We can't let the issues and the contradictions of the world that we're in become so big that we get swamped by COVID-19. And that's all we talk about. And, and that's all our lives center around. That we forget that there's eternity in the heart of man. And that even if I die of COVID, man, that's just nothing in comparison to what eternity would look like. So I cannot be kind of hampered and, and held back to fulfill my purpose because of what happens around me. Titus 1 verses 1 to 2 is a beautiful verse again in the light of this where we got to just read about how God exhorts us through the words of Paul to Titus. He says in, in verses 1 to 2, let me read it to you. Titus 1 says, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Then he says, in hope of eternal life. He talks about this hope that we have of eternal life. Which God, who never lies, you hear that? God who never lies, promised before the ages began. So God who never lies has promised this to us before the ages began. And He brings hope of eternal life into this. Our greatest purpose is found in living this life here on earth with a hope of eternity with Him. That's our purpose. Your purpose is not found in a career. Please, wonderful to go and do what you love to do and call to do and blessed to do. And if you have children, be a great father and a mother. That's a wonderful calling. But our greatest purpose on earth is to know God in such a way that we fulfill everything that He calls us to do while we're on earth, but to one day enjoy eternal life with Him. There's great hope in that. Don't let that be stolen from you. Let the promise of it says here, there's a promise before the ages began of eternal life. How amazing is that? To know that way before everything began, God had already promised that there will be eternal life. And we get stuck on 70, 80, 90 years. And like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I marrying the right person? And oh, am I living in the right place? And oh, all sorts of stuff. Instead of, Jesus, it's about you and nothing else first. The second reason or the need that we have, I believe, why God gives us promises is we have a need for friendship, love, and belonging. We, we just love to be loved. Amen? None of you would say when somebody tells you, hey, I just want to say I love you. Ah, don't tell me that. I don't really need that. No, no. All of us are suckers for love. Absolutely. We just, when, everybody, when anybody tells you they love you, just make sure that they really mean it. Girls, I'll just let any guy come and tell you who loves you. All right? Some of them have ulterior motives. Make sure it's genuine. Check it with your friends. Check it with God. Check it with your parents. Check it with me. I wouldn't mind at all. But check it out. Don't just, oh, it's lovely. Mommy, he said he loved me. <laughs> What's his name? I don't know. <laughs> but he loves me. No, no, just be real, all right? But the thing is, we all love to be loved. We all love to be loved. And when God comes, He knows that we want to be loved. So in those verses, God reassures us of His friendship and of His concern and of His faithfulness. 
and of His companionship and of His love for us. So now you have the contradictions <laughs> that come. We, we are hurt by people, we get rejected by people, and they behave towards us, and we, we let go of the promises of God. God has promised multiple times that He'll be faithful. That He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But then a contradiction comes, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. God, do you, do you know what they've just done? And God comes through and He says, just go and read how faithful I am and can be. Let the contradiction be the language that you use, but let the word of God, the promises from it, be the language that you live with. The third thing that we have is we have a need for identity. <laughs> identity. Our identity. It's like, who are you? Well, I do this and I stay there and I have that. Isn't it? So what's your name? Alec. Oh, Alec, what do you do? Okay, that's how we converse with one another, isn't it? Hey, Sydney, great to meet you. Your surname, Horton. Oh, great. So what do you do, Sid? Oh, Sid is that. So my identity of him or, or the identity that I put on him is based on what he does. And we all do that, isn't it? Second question you ask a person after you find out what their name is, you ask, so what do you do? If you see they're still young enough, you say, ah, oh, what form are you? What grade are you? Isn't it? Hey? But true identity is not found in what we do or what has been done to us or what others say about us. True identity is found in what Jesus has done for you and me. But boy, oh boy, do we often just run to what people say about us and use that to determine who we are or what Facebook says. Did they like my pictures? Instagram. Ooh, I've got so many followers or whatever it may be. This thing keeps on dropping. Sorry, I've just got to hook it properly. The point is we, we use these contradictions so often to determine our identity. We've messed up in the past, so we live with shame. So we use that to determine who we are. Instead of going to the Word of God that says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Uh, or, yeah. So if you read Ephesians, this is a little bit of homework again. I want you to do the following. Won't you say amen quickly? Because before I give you the homework, you've got to say amen. <laughs> Won't you just do the following? Go and read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Because what is so beautiful about the book of Ephesians is that there are six chapters. The first three gives us doctrine. The next three, four, five, six, gives us behavior. So what Paul does, he says, this is what you have been given in Christ. This is the position of a believer. The next four, he says, this is the practice that a believer should have in his life. So you go read one, two, three, and you're like, wow, is that me? Is that what God says of me? Is that what he's done for me? <gasps> okay, four, five, six, this is what I ought to do now. Beautiful. It's just lovely how, how it just kind of works together. So what he does, in, in, in particular in Ephesians, but in many other of his letters, he uses these two words. He uses in Christ. In Christ. So what I want you to do is, is as you read 1, 2, and 3, when it talks about the doctrine, the, the, the position of a believer, what we've been given, I want you to go and just look at the in Christ or the in Him 
references. And you'll be astounded. I count around 22. Where it talks about in Christ and in Him. Let me just read one or two for you so that you can know that I'm not lying. Amen? We never lie. Amen, I hope so. Anyway, so here it goes. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 6 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. That's your part. Come on. Blessed us in Christ. And then it says in verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It says in verse 4, In Him we have redemption through His blood. It says to unite all things in Him. In verse 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Ah, it just carries on and on and on. And it gives us an understanding of where our identity is found. This is very interesting. Jesus doesn't actually refer to His followers as Christians. Paul never uses the word Christian in any of his writings. But what he does is he talks about our position, our true identity, not a name. He says, you are in Christ. You are in Him. And he multiple times he does that. To under, help us understand that our identity is not a name that we have. Our identity is our union with Christ. And so when you have contradictions, when people say the following about you, you're not good enough. Or you are the problem. Or no one really likes you, so work hard at being someone else. Come on. And maybe people don't say that directly to you, but you look at magazines, you look at TV, you look at social media, and you're like, oh, I'm not like that. I need to be like that before they, because her followers, I mean, like 300 or 3,000 or 300,000 likes. Mine is like three. So I, I find my identity in my following and the likes that I have. Thumbs up. And so I run after that. And so I spend a lot of time on it. Years ago, we watched this little video thing on, on what video or what social media has done to, to teenagers. And there was one young girl, 14, 15 year old. She said, before I post a picture of myself, I take 200 pictures to choose the perfect one. 200 of myself, selfies. It's like, that's a burden. That's, that's really... A loss of identity and a false identity. And so God comes and He gives us true identity in Christ. The fourth thing that I want to say to you that we have a need for, that the promises of God, by the way, all these in Christ promises are there for us to be able to establish our identity. The next one is we need, we have a need for safety and security. Uh, we are vulnerable here on earth and constantly we are in need for safety and security, isn't it? We're like, we want to feel safe. Amen? And so, Often, this is where our greatest fear is found. <gasps> what will happen? <gasps> Come on. Have you heard? This has happened again, and, and enough late with all our WhatsApp groups here in town. We, we get to know about an incident in a couple of minutes after it's happened. And what does it do to us? It brings a certain amount of fear and anxiety and concern. <gasps> But God promises us, Isaiah 43, verse 2. Let me just read it to you. And I know that it may have just been read or given to the Israelites back then. But the Word of God is, is there to comfort and to correct and to, and to encourage us even today. It says in verse 2, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. 
you're mine. Come on. Whatever anxiety and fear and concern you're going through at the moment, concerning your own safety and security, you can rely on God. It says, I will be with you. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. That doesn't mean you can go and jump into the Limpopo or the Zambezi River and just say, oh God, you're going to protect me. And then crocodile, crocodile, munch, munch, munch comes. And come on, be real, be realistic, be wise. But when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Again, don't just go and rush through fires and stuff. But when we go through fires and strong rivers and, and, and turmoil around us in this world, we know that God is faithful. He will help us. Amen? We can rely on Him. The contradictions are huge against us in this regard. Can God, will He look after us? When you go on the road, oh, I don't know. Don't let contradictions turn into fears that overwhelm the promises of God. The last one I want to say that, that we have a need for is a need for basic things. And that's food, water, shelter, sleep, clothes are basic human needs. We just all have that need, isn't it? And then Jesus comes and he says in Matthew 6, he says, Hey, look at the birds of the air. Uh, look at the lilies of the field in that portion. Matthew 6, 25 to 31. Cut off a little bit. We need to have buy bigger screens. No, probably not. Um, the point is, Jesus says, Hey, listen, if I can look after the birds and the lilies, will I not look after you too? Why do you worry about what clothes you need to wear and what food you will have to eat? I can provide. And so he promises. The contradiction is, <gasps> economy, <gasps> this and that and all these issues. God says, my promises. So God speaks into every area of our greatest need. The onus is on us to believe him. You're my responsibility. But here comes a little snag. I've got to just share this with you. And help us work through these things. Because Psalm 84, I want to read this to you. Psalm 84 comes in my mind. I was talking to Samina about it last night. And I realized that we've got to be honest and realistic too and say, what if? Because Psalm 84 verse 11 says the following. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold. That's a promise. Amen. You see that as a promise? How many of you have missed out on good things so far in your life? Where you're like, I trusted the Lord for this good thing. And it just doesn't happen. By the way, the Bible says also in Ecclesiastes, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That good thing has come my way. With all due respect to the word thing, it's probably not a proper translation. It's probably a wonderful blessing. But, but the word yes says, God says, no good thing will I withhold from you. Okay, I'll take you on on that one. And then, this happened. And we can go through the list of what has happened that has not been so great. Amen? So how do we deal with that, folk? God promises, no good thing. I will always, I will help, I will heal. And then people die. And accidents happen. And things go wrong. And relationally, it doesn't work out. And we have divorce. We have huge tension in relationships. And businesses fail. And people try to do the right thing. But things go wrong. 
And I'll end on that note this morning. Thank you very much for coming. Because I don't have the answers. No. I don't have the answers, but I may present to you some of the reasons why the good thing does not always come our way. Because it doesn't always. You agree? I prayed for many good things. But many of them have not come. Yet. Also. But just four things, or five things that I want to say to you that God may be saying to us in, in the midst of not giving us the good thing. God may be saying, my idea of good and your idea of it differs. <laughs> and there are verses that you can go read. Because my, my good is God, I want that. God says, ah, I want that for you. And so this is good for me, for you, but that is not good for you. So you think that this good thing is the best thing. That's none of that good thing is better for you. Amen? So when something else comes that is not the way that it should have and would have been prayed for and the thing that you asked for comes in a different way, don't reject that. Because it could be the good thing that God's sending your way. Amen? The next reason why um, it may not happen is that God may be saying, I'm busy you teaching you about walking uprightly because in Psalm 11 um, it says, he, withhold no, he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly uprightly so maybe god is busy teaching us about walking uprightly god is more concerned about your character my friend than your material possessions he wants to teach us certain things and that's where uprightly comes in where i'm not getting this good thing because god is still teaching me to walk uprightly and i don't know we never we never um well somehow we'll get this thing right We'll never qualify in this thing of being upright. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, on the 11th of December, 2010, I became upright. Now, our uprightness is firstly by what Jesus has done for us, become, calling us righteous. But then as we learn to walk and become more like Him, we learn certain things. And a good thing coming my way may not be helpful because my character still needs to be formed. So God is committed to that. The, second, the third reason why things may not happen is, is God may be saying, oh, well, it's, it's a timing issue. Because we say God has three answers often. He says yes to certain things. He says no to other things. And he says wait on others. So it's maybe not the right time for the good thing to come yet. And God knows why. We don't. And we trust him to help us do that. Another thing from James verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 5 to 8, it talks about a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. He's got to have faith. And, and so God may be teaching us to have faith. Just hang on. Just have faith. The good thing is coming, but I'm teaching you faith. It's again character. And the last thing that may delay the good thing to come is that God may say, according to Ephesians 3 verse 20, I may have something better in mind than what you are asking for. God says, you don't know what I have. But what you're asking for is actually not close to comparison to what I have for you. Something better. So just wait. And I don't want to propose to have all the answers and why God's promises don't always come through the way that we wanted. But these are some. The main point is this. God has a reason behind every promise that He makes. He wants to sustain us. He wants to carry us. He wants to enable us to not let the contradictions override 
his character that comes through his promises. And I pray this morning that all of us will understand that in the promises of God are found this incredible, stable foundation that whatever contradiction we face in the world and whatever need we have, is the answer of it is here in his promises. So won't you go and study the promises of God and please don't study the contradictions. We have enough of that. With all due respect, please stop spreading the contradiction news of our God's faithfulness because that ruins lives. Puts people in agony and fear but that this gives people hope. Talk more about this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're incredibly thankful for your word that is just full of so many incredible promises. And this morning, oh God, we want to rejoice in the fact that we have the word at our disposal, that we can read it, that we can study it, that we can be um, encouraged through it, so that, Lord God, when we face these contradictory issues in life, that we will have the word of God to sustain us, to carry us through the fire, to carry us through the stormy waters, to sustain us, that we will be able to sit in the presence of our enemy, like David says in Psalm 23, and have a feast with you. That's a promise, Lord God, that in the midst of our enemies, we will not be overwhelmed by the enemies, but we will be absolutely convicted of God's faithfulness. I pray for that. I pray for King City Church, Lord God, that as we currently are going through... The stormy waters, Lord God, as the world is in such a state. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to hold on to the God of promises and see the promises that God has made are there to help us, to sustain us, to um, carry us through all of this. I trust for this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.